show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 695. I am Jim McDowell, your host, riding solo on this episode as my partner, Rich, is off traveling. Not to fear, we will cover the race from the Jello and a little bit of news and a bit of listener feedback. But before we can do that, if you would like to be a sponsor of the show, you can do that by going to our website, www.motopodcast.com. And there are PayPal and Patreon links on the left-hand side. You can donate for a little as $2 US. Every little bit helps, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll move to just a real quick bit of listener feedback, and that comes from Paul Lang. And he asks a brilliant question, and I'll paraphrase it, but he wants to know where all of the rookies have come from that are now in MotoGP and making things spectacular, especially after the Magello weekend. It's a great question, Paul, and I think it's a bit longer topic uh, than what we can cover here, just the show by myself. So what I'm thinking is we'll get Rich involved and myself will do some research and we'll come back and do a whole show on it in the five weeks that we have off in the summer break. So sit tight, Paul. We'll come back with you, come back to this topic at the summer break. So we have that to look forward to when we get there. So that's the listener feedback portion of it. Let's move on to the little bit of news that came out of the racing from Mugello. I think the first thing that broke was big deal was that Maverick Vinales now has a new two-year deal with Aprilia. I did not see this coming. Rich did not see this coming. You all know that we didn't see this coming if you listen to 694 in the 23 grid guessing. So apparently uh, Maverick is doing something that Aprilia likes. It could be that it's just a budget deal. Uh, like Rich always says, he doesn't really need the money, so maybe he's there because he's willing to take a severe pay cut, a la Jorge Lorenzo when he was at Ducati, or when he went moved from Ducati to Yamaha or Ducati to Honda. Sorry, that he was the rumor was he was only making like eight hundred thousand euros, which is really nothing for those guys at the MotoGP level. Same may be true for Maverick, but we don't know. Second bit of news that came out was that RNF Yamaha will now become RNF Aprilia. So Aprilia now now will have, in 2023, a full-on satellite team. It'll be with the RNF boys. We know what's happening with that. So that means there's only two Yamahas on the grid next year confirmed. They are the factory Yamahas. Very interesting to see what happens there. My guess is that now Morbidelli stays with Quattraro due to his contract obligations because there will be no other Yamaha to put him on. We shall see. Stay tuned. And the last bit of news before we get into the racing is that Mark Marquez will undergo a fourth surgery on his humerus bone that he broke back in 2020. This is going to be crazy. It's his fourth surgery in 18 months. Uh, He says that he doesn't like racing. He doesn't enjoy it because he can't do what he needs to do on the bike and that his arm is holding him back. He's had consultations with surgeons in Spain as well as people inside of the United States at the Mayo Clinics here and there apparently is a new technique that is available to helpfully correct the issues that are in his arm. We all wish Mark well on that. I personally don't want to see this be the end of this guy's career uh, with all these surgeries. Uh, I think he still has something left to give and something to put on the table. However, the longer he stays away from motorcycling, the farther the goalposts, Quattraro, Benyaya, and the other group are going to push it and it's going to be i think it's going to be really hard for marquez at 30 years old to be able to get back to that top level not impossible but difficult we wish mark well as he goes underneath the knife yet again 
Also, Jorge Martin will go under the knife here as he is getting a nerve correct, nerve damage corrected in his right hand, I believe, a legacy of his Portomayo crash from a couple of years ago. And that, I think, does it all for the news. Let's just get right into the crazy that is Mugello by jumping into Moto3 qualifying one. That first session, Artigas was there along with Toba. Everybody else, pretty much that we would think would make it out of Q, would make it directly into Q2, did. That left only a few people in Q3, that are in the Moto3 Q1 session, and that would be uh, Yamanaka, Bertelli, Fallon, and Munoz. In the second qualifying session, we learned that Sasaki was ruled out after he had a huge crash with Juan Masia. Masia actually ran into the fallen Japanese rider, which resulted in two broken collarbones and a concussion. And it was the concussion that was actually keeping him out of the racing this weekend. Hopefully Sasaki will get better quickly, and we hope to see him back soon as the Stelgrada team looks very weird with only one rider on the grid following the lengthy return for John McPhee, who came back to race here in Mugello. With Moto3 qualifying session two, rain was looming. They were talking about the dark clouds that were there, and everyone was thinking, is it going to rain? Are we going to get through this session? Simon Crafar was concerned. There was some lightning off in the distance. But Fagia had been fast the whole time. He went to second with absolutely no help of any kind of draft whatsoever. McPhee was on with a pole lap, but he needed a little bit of help as he was getting towed around. Then Foggia went to pole. Again, he was... But uh, the problem with Foggia going to pole was that he was towing Anchu, who then took the pole position. On the last flying lap that everybody was going to get, Foggia tows Anchu to the pole, and then Helgardo also kind of caught a sniff of the draft off of both of those bikes, and he would leapfrog Fagia to go into second on the grid with Fagia being on third. Garcia would be on the grid in a fourth place and he had no toes whatsoever throughout the entire time. So the starting lineup would work as Anchu, Helgardo, Fagia, Garcia, Guevara, McPhee, Marrera, Rossi, Yamanaka, Masia, Suzuki, Falon, Bertelli, Ogden and Munoz and Mino in 16th. As we go to the race day, it had rained overnight and it left the track slightly damp. There was no problem with everybody deciding whether they would try to go to rains or to slicks. They were definitely just going to go right to slicks as it was only really like damp patches and it was definitely going to go away quickly. Scott Ogden had a crash on the start. Apparently he had a problem with his bike. He had his hand up and then uh, Furusato clipped him and caused Ogden to go down. Anchu got the whole shot followed by Moreno, Guevara, Faggio, Holgardo, and Garcia. Anchu would go on to lead a good section at the beginning of this race and in the opening part of it the KTMs looked very strong and they opened up a 1.1 gap over uh, Garcia's uh, Suro, Suzuki, sorry, and Fagia. So the, the Leopard bikes were definitely behind, but this is Mugello. We have a big straightaway. There was going to be drafting. It was a matter of time before that gap had been closed back up again. By lap six, with 16 to go, Fagia made an appearance at the front with Anchu and Suzuki, Guevara, Hogardo, and Moreno. You can take those and put them in any order here for the next four to five laps as the draft was key as people who were fourth were going to first and people who were first were going back to as far as fifth. 
Now, Suzuki, uh, with 13 laps to go, he grass-tracked it at the start-finish line. You know, he got into a toe, he whipped over to the left, and he wound up going across the grass as the pit lane entrance is a paved area, and he sort of skipped across there, grass-tracking it. Now, this is important because later on, we'll see what happens with this. Now, uh, Ricardo Rossi had worked his way up to second, which is a great ride for him. And then we get to 10 laps to go, and it seemed as though all the chaos that you were expecting to happen in the Moto3 race decided to happen at this one moment in time. Anchu crashes at turn one, and Suzuki had been the man who actually bumped into him. Now, at first look at this, I thought, wow, that was an racing incident. Two riders who wanted to occupy the exact same track at the exact same time. And then later on, Suzuki were to get, was to get a long lap penalty for irresponsible riding. In other words, he basically took down Anshu. Now, I thought that was a bit weird and a bit harsh by, by race control. But after the race was over, there were some different replays that showed that basically Anshu was back online or was coming back online. And Suzuki was coming from a far distance back. Suzuki would have been able to see Anshu coming that way or at least I believe that he could have, and wound up smacking into Anchu and putting Anchu down. Now, he was never even with Anchu. He was, at best, at the midpoint of Anchu's motorcycle and simply took him out. In fact, I believe he actually hit his rear swing arm with his front tire, and that's why Anchu went down. So, if nothing else, as much as what I don't think the call was really, truly correct, my own personal take, race control has been consistent that if you're not at least with the front wheel even to the front of the other motorcycle, you're getting irresponsible riding. So I'll applaud that. After the contact with Anchi forcing him down at the first turn, we made our way over to, over to Casanova, which is a scary fast section of track. Foggia had gotten to the front and had put some distance on everyone because they, had, they all had checked up because of the Anchi incident. But as he came out of Casanova, he high-sided himself to the moon. He was sliding down the track, on what would be the rider's left, or sorry, what would be the rider's right. And as he came down that area, he spun off into the grass, but his bike became sliding, continued to slide down the track and then crossed across the track at the next turn. And But luckily, everybody in the front pack was able to avoid Fazia's down bike. Fazia was just hardened, as I believe he would have ran off and been been able to break the draft of the KTMs and he would have won the race. Afterwards he talked to Simon Crafar and he Fazio believes that he crashed on a tear-off. Now I've been around a lot and I've never seen or heard of anyone ever crashing on a tear-off. If this truly happened well then this would be the first time that I can ever recall it. If you guys know of anybody who had crashed because of a tear-off on the racetrack please let me know at MotoRGV, Instagram and Twitter, or Motopod at Motopodcast.com. I'd love to know if you can think of anyone else who's actually crashed on a tear-off. So with Foggy's down and all the melee that had happened there, suddenly Helgardo and McPhee were in the gravel trap together, and with McPhee consoling Helgardo. That was at turn 14 on the same on the same 10 laps to go time frame. So what had happened was McPhee had lost the front and had gone down. He actually had high-sided himself over the top. So when, when Helgardo got there, he was facing the wheels of McPhee's bike and launched himself over top of it, and they both sort of crashed on top of each other. 
Luckily, both riders were up and were okay. But the Leopard team was down both riders with a penalty and had lost the lead. And we're going to suffer the long lap penalty with, with Suzuki, as I should say. And this all on the exact same lap. Crazy as it sounds, chaos had happened, and it happened then. This now became a seven-rider group at the front, and, it was being, and Suzuki had been given the long lap penalty. Well, Suzuki took his long lap penalty and was probably about one second behind the pack, but the pack couldn't decide who was going to lead and who wasn't going to lead, as Moreno, Guevara, Garcia, Ramirez, Mino, and Yamanaka all decided to swap it around back and forth, which allowed Suzuki to actually come back to the front. At the start of the last lap, Suzuki grass-tracked it again across the track. And I do not understand why that is not a track limits warning for Suzuki. That is not the racetrack there. It is a grass section. If you're going to penalize people for going over the curbing and onto a paved green painted section, then having your bike off of the track and grass-tracking across at onto the pit straight onto the pit entrance apron then i believe that should be a penalty however suzuki was never given given that guevara was leading suzuki was right there so was garcia Minia was at the front there for a little bit this last lap is basically everybody going crate crazy garcia who had gotten to the front here after the after the morera crash hurt his left wrist in the last turn and it became a draft battle to the end to which Garcia won that draft battle. Guevara was as winning, but then he was given a one spot for exceeding track limits. Again, this is where I'm mad that Suzuki gets to ride across the grass, but when uh, Guevara simply goes off onto a little bit of green tarmac at the top of turn three, I find that irresponsible but from race control. It just seems crazy to me. So as they finished, it was like Guevara who had won but he was demoted one spot, so Garcia then won. Suzuki, who had been given a track, who had been given irresponsible riding for knocking down Anchu, would finish on the podium in third, having gotten back through the pack after being given the long lap. It finished off with Yamanaka, Ricardo, Rossi, Ortola, Bartolini, Bertelli, Fernandez, Munoz, Kelso, Io, I, I, I believe fell on, and then Anchu getting the last part. So he had remounted, picked his bike back up, and had ran back to 15th to gain one point. Now, in the championship results, that sort of shuffles things a little bit. Sergio Garcia now has a pretty good-sized lead. He's on 137 points. He's followed by his teammate at 109. Masia is on 95 because he didn't score any points. Fazia didn't get any points, so he's on 95. They're still tied. Sasaki is there on 75, but of course he didn't gain any points. And then there's Mino now on 71, followed by Anchu, Suzuki, Tatai, Yamanaka rounding out the top 10. So that does it for our Moto 3 class race. Then we move into the Moto 2 guys and the craziness that is Moto 2. But we'll first start with the qualifying in Moto 2. And we had in here, first session, we had in Arbolino. Marcel Schroeder, Chantra, Aldiger. Now, that's a pretty good lineup there that was actually in this first qualifying session. But uh, Schroeder got into trouble with, with Kubo, and they had a little argument. They had some hand-waving and things going on. I'm not too sure who was to blame there, but I guess Schroeder thought he had his lap, can't, lap 
compromise. But then again, he didn't do himself any favors by getting all upset about it. But interestingly, the wild card Piscini, who was on a two-year-old Calix, would go through with Arbolino, Aldiger, and Ramirez. In the second qualifying session, Acosto was basically just setting quicker and quicker pull laps with no toe. He was the man. He was fast, and he would go fast, go faster again, go faster again. Again, he was doing this without a toe. Now, Kinnett wound up lucking into getting a toe, and he would move to he would move to pole ahead of Acosta, and Sam Lowe's would be third on the grid. Vietti, with a good toe, would get himself to fourth, Piscini fifth, Agura sixth, Joe Roberts with a really good qualifying session for himself uh, in seventh, Arbolino eighth, Dixon ninth, Baltus tenth, Delaporto eleventh, and Navarro twelfth. Frederick Cambobier would be 18th, just for us American, fan, American fans of Cam. In the race, Canet got off to an incredibly quick start, and he had the whole shot. But Acosta would wind up leading into the first turn. So it was Acosta, Canet, Lowe's, Arbolino, Ayagura, and Roberts. Acosta basically was, was leading still, and the Mark VDS boys were in a dust-up with each other, and they had some problems where they couldn't get themselves together. Then we had um, Acosta have a very big moment coming out of turn three as he's, or no, is it uh, turn seven, seven or eight, as they come over the blind crest there on the far end of the track, the two double right, two double right handers that are there. Acosta was just all over the bike and had a very big moment there. Agura would go by Roberts, uh, then you had Roberts back by Agura, so they sort of had a little nice little ding-dong. It was still Acosta, Canet, Arbolino now, Lowe's, then Agura, and Roberts. Agura would go by, with the help of the draft, by Lowe's at turn one, and then Agura would force his way by at the top, top of the chicane by getting past Arbolino. But then Arbolino would go by back, uh, go back by Agura. Ramirez would go down at turn 15, Kenneth and, AC and uh, Acosta would have started making a gap there. With nine to go, Roberts got by uh, Arbolino. Della Porta crashed at turn 15. And then Kenneth fell at turn 15 as well. Now, that left Acosta out front by himself with a huge lead that he ne would never relinquish. So Acosta would go on to win. The fight was interesting between Agura, Roberts, Vietti, and Arbolino as they were battling for the final two places on the podium. As it turns out, Lowe's would go down with the help of his teammate Arbolino, who would get a long lap, who would get a long lap penalty. So Vietti would then be able to get, then would stand to have been on the podium, winds up with a mechanical issue to his bike. It sounded like it was in the transmission, something had broke, like it had no drive, it was running, but... He just had no. He just had no ride. I mean, it could have been a chain or anything, something like that. Um, I do not know the exact cause of that problem. But Roberts would go on to finish second behind Acosta, some distance. He would beat Agura to the line for that place. Agura was third in the final man on the podium. Then it was Arbolino Fernandez who had, or sorry, Arbolino who had recovered from the long lap. And then Augusto Fernandez, Jason, Jake Dixon, Bobier was seventh, Lopez Schroeder ninth. Arena's 10th, Boben Schneider, Navarro, Slatch, and Aldiger with Piscini getting the final point. 
So Acosta now finally wins on a Moto 2 bike, and that boy looked good on that motorcycle. He looked, this should have, this win should have came at Le Mans. It didn't. He had to wait another week, but he does become the youngest ever rider to win in the intermediate class at 18 years, four days, because Acosta has just now turned 18. He beats the record held by, yeah, that's right, Mark Marquez, who was 18 years and 87 days when he won an intermediate class. That is a pretty wild and crazy Moto2 event, and that means that we need to go to where the championships is after the race. Well, Vietti really didn't suffer because Ayagura could do, didn't do a win, but it did mean that Vietti and Ayagura are tied at the top on 108 points apiece. Aaron Kinnett is next, having scored no points. Roberts jumped up to fourth place. Then it's Arbelino, Fernandez, Schroeder, Chantra, Navarro. And Acosta jumps into the top 10 at 45 points. If Acosta strings a few wins together and uh, Vietti and Agura don't keep consistent finishes or they have a crash or two, look for Acosta to be near the top, although I don't see it happening considering he's 60-odd points behind. But Stranger things have happened. He's had Acosta had that big of a lead in Moto3, and Foggia ran him down to make it a close race. So this is going to be interesting. We'll just have to see how this plays out as the rest of the season goes on. Now let's talk about MotoGP. In MotoGP qualifying in QP1, there was light rain that was falling. The rain that we thought was coming for the qualifying session for Moto3 finally showed up in between on the FP4 session for MotoGP. The most amazing thing about the Q1 session was the fact that Vinales, Renz, Marquez, Oliveira, Miller, and Mir are all in Q1. I mean, that sounds like people who should all be in the Q2. Such is the depth of the field and the competitiveness that we have in MotoGP that we have that. Now, people were deciding whether they wanted to have intermediates or whether they didn't need intermediates, but... Somebody decided to play it right, and that was Brad Bender who decided to go with Slicks. Now, Bender on Slicks was almost three seconds faster than anybody in the first sector, which such was the dominance of that. So, basically, Bender was was leading with Oliveira, then Miller, and then um, Morbidelli. Rain flags were everywhere. There was lightning bolts everywhere. I have never seen a motorcycle race take place with lightning like there was in Mugello. Um, if that had been here in the United States... It would have been stopped just because of the threat of lightning. I'm not sure if that's like a, a more of an insurance rule kind of thing for the safety of the corner workers and whatnot versus what happens in Europe or if it's I, that's just how things are done at the world level. Again, if anybody knows, let me know because I'm kind of curious as to how we could race in the conditions of lightning like that. Marquez would get a tow from Miller so that he would go to like second quick and Miller would, or sorry, Marquez would go quickest, Miller would be second quickest, and then you had DG Antonio, then you had, they had them behind. Now everybody had moved on to slicks. On the last lap, DG Antonio puts down a great lap, and Miller tows Mark Marquez to a second place. So Miller got robbed of, a, of the ability to go through by Marquez being towed behind him. And this time, Jack, who usually doesn't really care much, cared a lot. Yes, that was a crazy bit of going on right there. Now, in the second MotoGP session, everyone lined up at the start because they believed more ring was coming and everybody had slicks on. Now, Mark Marquez took off from the pits and and passed all the other riders who were trying to be tentative. 
as they were trying to figure out where the water was or wasn't. Marquez rode around the outside of turn one only to high side himself to turn two, to which he wound up actually going along and breaking the forks of his RC Honda. That was crazy. The oil from the forks then got on the track, got on the exhaust, his bike burnt with a fire there. It wound up being a red flag. And in the time that it took for that to, to be done, we wound up with a short sprint for the qualifying session. Now, it was a crazy deal. The people that you expected to be quick suddenly weren't quick, but the man who was quick was DG Antonio. And the other people who were quick that you wouldn't have thought of was Bezecchi and Marini. The Mooney VR46 team was looking pretty stout as well. And it would turn out that that's the front row. DG Antonio would claim his first ever pole in MotoGP. Gersini would get another pole position. The Mooney bikes would be on the front row. Zarco would be the next Ducati. Benyaya would be there in fifth on a Ducati. And the first non-Ducati bike would be Fabio Quattararo, who really had no business being there, but he was riding the wheels off of that Yamaha. It was almost like Mark Marquez-esque for Quattararo because he was doing things with that Yamaha that shouldn't have been possible, much like Mark Marquez does things with a Honda that really shouldn't be possible. Quattararo's game and his riding this year, I think, is even better than the riding that he did last year to actually get the world title. It says a lot about how Quattararo is, is riding and racing. Then Alicia Spargaro, Nakagami, Polo Spargaro, Bastianini, Jorge Martin, and Mark Marquez would round out your top 12. On race day for MotoGP, we wound up with Marini getting the whole shot ahead of DG Antonio, followed by Basecki, Quattararo, Spargaro, and Zarco. Benyaya was trying to get to the, was trying very hard to get to the front. And he was moving up slowly and methodically going there. DG Antonio was simply going backwards the whole time. Bezecchi took a little turn at the front, so did Marini. Quattraro was trying to keep the Ducatis in sight, but he was having trouble with that. A Quattraro wound up putting a very smooth move on Marini as he stuffed it up the inside in the twisty bits, which is where the Yamaha works best. And then Paul Asperger went down at turn nine with a low side. Benyaya, using the power of the Ducati in the draft, drafted up from 4th to 2nd, past Marini and Quattraro. Bastianini, who we thought would be very quick, had moved himself up to 8th with approximately 18 laps to go. Juan Mir had a terrible day and he was down at turn 1. Alexis Bergero was starting his charge on, towards the front. Renz went down at turn 12, so Suzuki itself having a terrible day in their last year inside of the MotoGP paddock. Then Benyaya was able to get by Bezeki with 15 to go. Bastianini at that point was 7th. Then Darren Bender was on the move, as he had moved his way up to 8th, towing his teammate Oliveira along to 9th. Quattraro had moved himself back to 2nd, because Benyaya was starting to ease away from everyone. The race was now for 2nd. Is it Quattraro? Is it going to be Marini? Is it going to be Bezeki? Is it Asleish? Is it Bastianini? Is it Zarco? Because... Benyaya basically was gone, had gone away. Quattraro was losing touch, but he did try to keep Benyaya honest. When he did get a little bit closer to him, Benyaya just simply started back in, into his rhythm again, didn't crack under pressure, and started to pull back out of lead again. Aleish got by Bezeki. Bezeki then wound up going back by Aleish. And eventually, Benyaya would go on to win the race. Quattraro would be second behind him. Aleish would take care of uh, Basecki and would, and 
would finish third and get on the podium again. Another podium for the Aprilia looking great. Zarco came from a long way back with a good ride that we didn't really see much of to be fourth. Then there was Bezecchi in fifth, Luca Marini, Brad Bender getting seventh, the Sunday man, Nakagami eighth, Oliver ninth, and Marquez tenth. When we go to the world championship results, Quattro still leads on 122 points. Alicia Spargro lost a little bit of ground as he's on 114, so roughly eight points between them. Bastianini third, he had, oh, that's right, I didn't fail to mention that Bastianini actually tossed it away at turn four, who potentially could have gotten by and finished second. Um, Bastianini did, did not, he did crash, I failed to mention that. Benyaya, oh, so Bastianini is third in the championship, Benyaya is fourth in the championship, then Zarco, Renz, Bender, Miller, Marquez, and Juan Mir. So that wraps up the review of the race for MotoGP. Hopefully when Rich returns, we'll ask him some of his thoughts on Suzuki's uh, grass tracking, perhaps the aerodynamic issues that everybody's talking about as well, and just his general thoughts on it when he returns, which will be after we get uh, Barcelona in, which is this weekend. So just a quick show here, guys, for you. Hopefully that works for you. Again, if you want to contact us, you can do it by sending an email to motopod at motopodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at motorgv. So until we see you guys after Barcelona, remember to ride safe. Cheers.